Hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Bighorn Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you with the support of Leeds and Son Fine Jewelers, a valued member of our community for over 70 years. And AT&T, who reminds us, it can wait, don't drive distracted. And Back Nine Greens, whose work is known worldwide. Remember that golf art starts with Back Nine Greens. My name is Marty Lockman, and it is my honor to continue to talk with the most interesting people and their fascinating stories. We talk to a wide range of people about their backgrounds and accomplishments and the various twists and turns that have brought them to this part of their lives. We have talked to men and women that have educated, entertained, and informed us in a very personal way. And the emotional connection of these stories have hopefully brought us all closer together. Over the past year, we have welcomed so many new members to our community. And hopefully, these podcasts, in many cases, will provide an oral history of Bighorn and the members of our community that have contributed to being the world-class community it is today. Today's episode brings us together with one of our members from our northern border in Canada. Herb Pinder has had a great career in sports in Canada, along with a very successful business career. But the story for Herb starts in Boston, Massachusetts. Herb, take us on your journey. Well, thank you, Marty, and it's a real pleasure to be with you and and I do feel closer to people after listening to their podcasts, even if I don't know them. Um, so Boston, I was born there. My father was at Harvard Business School. I'll come back to that. But I was only spent a few months as a baby and then moved back to where I grew up, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I get blank looks when nobody knows where that is, but it's above, mostly above Montana. And just as a introductory comment we've all been quarantined and so forth and as well we're selling our family home when I was a kid I kept a scrapbook and lost interest in it because we'll be selling our home and moving out I went through my scrapbook and organized it I have a couple of (laughs) quick comments one is I'm getting old (laughs) I'm coming up 74 I've been around for a while and secondly there have been incredible number of highs I've had been blessed with highlights, but sadly also many lowlights uh, that I'll be talking about, your twists and turns that you refer to. So I'm probably talk a little about the learnings of the ups and downs and to be few situations that I would characterize as excellence that I'm going to point out and highlight, Marty. So growing up in Saskatoon, basically I'm a little guy from a little place. When I was born, it was probably 100,000 people. It's probably greater Saskatoon, 300,000 people now. Typical family of that era, five kids. I'm the oldest of four boys in five years. Yes, my poor mother. My father was typical. He was head of the household, but a very, an alpha male, a capable, active, athletic, really strong business record. And my mother, a gem who stayed in the background and 
made the household work. Our family, uh, there was a lot of sports. My family was not about collaboration, it was about competition. My dad was competitive and he kind of overwhelmed my mother and we only got attention from our father. He was very busy, he was away a lot. It was when we performed or at the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> and um, I was a performer most of the time, but I can tell you, Marty, I do remember uh, the strap. You know, he was authoritative in the era and uh, having my share of straps. So um, jump ahead to high school. I had accelerated one year and I was, my birthday's late December. So at all of 12 and a half, I'm walking up the hill to school. I'm five foot two and a half. So I was small. Our family, the men mature later. Some argue maybe not at all. Um, so I, I couldn't play uh, high school sports. Now, in Canada, hockey is not a high school sport, and that was one of my sports. I was also a competitive swimmer. And in the summer, it was golf. Um, my father um, shot his age or better 90 times in his lifetime. So we grew up golfing. But in order to get our membership, and this is both at our home course and at our cottage, we had to caddy so many rounds. And it was a wonderful way to learn the game. And I really enjoyed being a caddy, actually. So got through high school, uh, age 16, too young to go to university. So my father sent me away to a boys' school in Lausanne, Switzerland. And part of it was in Canada then, and, and increasingly, in, and today, if you're interested in politics, um, or being part of the, the, I call the Laurentian elite in central Canada, you need to speak French. And so I redid my, we call it grade 12, you say 12th grade. I redid that, but in French. Spoke it again, it uh, was very useful. Had a job in French at Expo 67. Best summer of my life. But uh, basically the French needs practice and, and there's not much opportunity in Western Canada. But we had a boys' school on the shores of Lac Le Main, which is Lake Geneva. A tremendous amount of fun. 80 kids from more than 20 countries in a dorm. My kids used to, at bedtime, tell us another story, Daddy, about some of the pranks you pulled in the dorm. We had a ton of fun. And they learned to ski. But what was uh, interesting is in February, we had to get permission from home. Four of us got on a train took the train to Innsbruck, 1964 Winter Olympics. And I saw Canada play the last two games, saw Billy the Kid win the silver medal in the slalom, saw Canada win the four-man bobsled, and it was just, um, it was really a, a highlight. And I could not have imagined that four years later, just across the lake, across Lac Le Mans, and a little more south is Grenoble, and um, anyway, I'll get to that. So it was a fun year, but it was also a growing up year, and I certainly needed to mature. I came back with more of a sense of purpose. Started uh, a job with a construction company, a lowly laborer, and our building was behind schedule, so it was nine hours, not eight hours a day, and this was, <laughs> this was really tough work. I had two, two goals of the, in, upon my return. One was survive the, <laughs> the summer, and the second was, um, it was my last year as a junior golfer. I was a decent golfer, but never done anything uh, noteworthy. 
So I would drag myself out after supper, go and practice, and my father taught me and uh, spent some time. So we had Northern playoffs and Southern playoffs. We came together in the South in the other significant city in Saskatchewan called Regina. And 36-hole final of morning, I think it was 74-5, was in the thick of it. In the afternoon round, I shot even par 71. Seven birdies, seven bogeys, and four pars. Marty, I've never made seven birdies in my life since. But I won the Saskatchewan Junior Championship and then got to go to the national championship. So that was a, that was a real highlight. But what for the first time in my life, I connected the dots between effort and outcome. And that was very significant. And I would say uh, uh, the rest of my life I've been a very hard worker. And when, Let me just ask you a couple of questions. First of all, being the oldest with a father that was domineering and certainly had great expectations and discipline was a big factor. Was it even tougher being the oldest? Because that sometimes comes into play too. Yeah, Marty, you'd have no idea how, how accurate that question is. That really resonates. My dad was very difficult. and He was demanding on himself. He was demanding on others. And the two people who got it the most was first our mother. And the second was me oldest son, and I'm a junior. Um, I, I even had his name. So, yeah, big time. And I would also think we've had a number of these podcasts where, as you've already mentioned, uh, father was a disciplinarian, but we also came from a time where work came first. Men went out and, and earned a living and supported the family. But the real backbone of the home life was mom. Without question, and... Um, I was going to get into it later, but my mother was very special, but she wasn't honored in our home. My father was actually demeaning to her. And uh, so uh, that's how we grew up. And last question about that, because again, this is a theme that's gone through a lot. Getting dad's recognition. I mean, you just talked about winning the golf tournament. Here's a guy that shot his age 90 times. I would imagine that you were striving all the time to try to get some sort of positive recognition, as we all have in these situations. How did that form you in the future? How, how did that play an impact in it? Well, that's, again, another question right on the mark. I'm going to be dealing with that in and out throughout. But I worshipped my father. Um, and um, uh, so... Everything I tried to do was to please him as a young child. Um, he was um, dynamic, and but ultimately, I, I learned impossible to please. And uh, my wife Madeline says I still am trying to please my father. I'm still trying to shoot my age, Marty. I've come within the shot three times, but <laughs> now again, I just wanted to touch on those things. But now. As you move forward, what takes place? Well, after um, that summer at home, I start university, the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. I studied major in economics and minor in history. My goal was to graduate and go on to the University of Toronto Law School and then to Harvard Business School. So my father made it clear I could go to any business school I wanted as long as it was Harvard. <laughs> But another dynamic, um, 
The next brother, Jerry, was a fantastic hockey player. He was the best around. And sibling rivalry, he was showing up as older brother. I loved playing hockey, but he was a great motivation for me. Saskatoon has the Saskatoon Blades, which is one of the franchises in the Western Hockey League, which is part of the Canadian Hockey League. And this is where most hockey players in Canada they get to the NHL come from. So I came back from Switzerland, hardly a training ground for junior hockey, but I'm, we had a lousy team. I made the team. I wasn't very committed. Coach didn't like me. I, I can understand that looking back. In February, I got sent down to the B team, and to add insult to injury, my brother got called up <laughs> to replace me. So this was motivating. And so we get into the summer. Coach wanted, he, he, he approached my father, wanted to sign my brother, and he said, why don't you just get Herb to go play for the university? And my dad said, no, you take them both or you get neither. So I was afraid of the coach. He was afraid of my father. And so here we are back. I'm a better player, but Marty, I was a nice player. Um, I, today, I would be described as a soft player. I loved the puck. I, I was really good puck handler. I moved, loved to move it around. I, I didn't embrace the physical side. My brother, on the other hand, he'd swing a stick at your head if you. And the scouts and the teammates and the coaches love. You know, it's a it's a physical game, and I refused to listen to people, including the coach. So Christmas time came. It started the previous game, but between Christmas, for the next ten days, changed my life in a couple of ways and dramatically. First of all. The day after Christmas, we call it Boxing Day. But my friends at the university, nothing to do. They came, they were all in the, a lot of them were in the rink watching. I got benched. And I am angry and I'm hurt. And I'm going to show everybody, I'm going to quit. I'll show them. Really immature. We're losing the game. He threw me out at the end of the game. And I'm so mad. I, I ran everybody in sight. And I can, I'll never forget this big French-Canadian red-headed guy, a defenseman, I ran him. And what I learned is I can do this. I was strong. I had been working construction. And so the physical play was more a matter of confidence, believing I could. So this turned my game around. The second thing that happened, we go back to this, it was a little town called Melville, a few days later. And Marty, if it's 30 below Fahrenheit, Outside is 35 below in this little rink. And after the first period, we're down 6 nothing. And the coach comes in the room, slams the door, and this is how he talks. There'll be no goddamn paychecks at the end of that month, goddammit. And there weren't. So this is unheard of in junior hockey. We went on strike. He <laughs> went on strike. So there was one game, and, and then it got sorted out. But... I knew he'd be looking at me. I, I wasn't a captain. I stayed in the background. And after we got the strike settled, he interviewed everybody, released a lot of players. So I had a chance to talk to him. And I said, George, why don't you put my brother and I in the same line? And he said, put you in the wing? I said, no, I can't play the wing, George. Put Jerry on the wing. So he did. And the next, we had a two-game two um, weekend in a place called Flin Flon in northern Manitoba, eight hours away. 
And we won big, and I think my brother and I had 18 points in two games. We were just, we knew where the other was. It was like magic. So this turned around my hockey career, the two things, embracing physical play and playing with my brother. So the, the year finished really well. We started to sell out the building. This time he couldn't wait to sign us both. This is my final year. My brother's two years younger. And we had a spectacular year. Jerry uh, was the MVP of the league, led the league in points, led the league in goals. I led the league in assists. It was the winter of the Pinder brothers in Saskatoon, and I'll never forget it. Uh, but what was noteworthy is I was headed to the University of Toronto that had been the Canadian champion, won the Intercollegiate League the previous year. But Canada's national team, which the U.S. has a national team, was then based in Winnipeg. We got invited, and Jerry was a shoe-in. I was not. There were four incumbents at center. I wasn't expected to make the team, and my other shortcoming as a player was I wasn't a great skater. So international hockey is about speed, but I made the team, and I'm not sure how much that had to do with Jerry. I just don't know, but I made the team, and now I'm the next day at University of Manitoba Law School. And interestingly, uh, Rod Semph was, big or member was, uh, it, that's when I first became friends with Rod. So early in the year, we had um, a professional, by the way, 23 players, 18 get named to the Olympic team. A, a player named Carl Brewer, Canadians will know that name. Between, he was a defensive, between blue line blue, and he was the fastest skater in the league. And he was a bit of a rebel and had come and played for the national team the previous year. Couldn't because then you, if you're professional, you couldn't play in the Olympics. But he's there. So I said, Carl, I'd like you to watch me skate. Oh, you're supposed no, it's not. I'm not. And so he t gave me some instruction. Then there were no hockey schools or skating schools. And I worked at it. I worked at it. And we, we skated a lot in our practices. And by Christmas, I'm skating way better. So played again. Uh, early January, we were, were getting ready to go to Olympics, and I'm sort of rationalizing to drop my brother off at the airport and go back and watch it on TV. There was a road game in Calgary. We played in the senior league, just half games. A lot of the guys bailed out. And so I went, the coach said, Jakey, why don't you put Jerry and I in the same line? Well, so now you know the story. In the next three games, we had a really fast right winger, nicknamed Beep Beep. And um, in the next three games, I think something like 16 out of the team's 18 goals, our line scored, and we had none against. And they had to name me. It wasn't, I wasn't in their plans. Probably, well, without a doubt, one of the happiest days of my life. And very personal, but one of my personal accomplishments. So off we go. Flew all night, and the next day got to Prague for a couple of exhibition games. Practice that day just to keep us up, and anyway, we had a game the next day. We had two two games, and um, early in the game, uh, everything's off, and the ice surfaces in Europe are way bigger. I'm following a pass to beep beep, and I'm not looking at a defense with number four, a little guy with a big behind who comes at me low. Um, lucky he didn't take out my knee, but I got a really bad Charlie horse and got back playing, but it wasn't, I was injured and I lost my spot. 
Um, I did get to play two games in the Olympics, scored a goal. But for the most part, it was, it was a disappointment. But having said that, um, I was there. Our team played fantastic. Our goalie, who went on to play for the Boston Bruins, stood in his head, as the saying goes, and uh, won't be won a bronze medal. So we come back to Canada, and it's the, the analogy would be Americans in basketball. We're Canadians, we have to win. And we were bums. There was no... Um, so I threw the medal in a drawer. And then fast forward to 1984, I've got, by now I'm in representing players, James Patrick, played 23 years of the New York Rangers, um, is on the team, and he went home after to Winnipeg. I was there for some of it, and uh, came back. Um, at, he came to my place while I negotiated his contract. And we're talking, and, and they had a bronze medal game. They lost 2 nothing to Sweden. He said, oh, I'd give anything for a bronze medal. And I said, do you want to see one? So I pulled it out of the drawer, show it to him, and went up on, after that, it went up on my office wall where it remains. You put things in perspective. He did, yeah. big time. And, but the perspective of Canada had changed too. We now came to understand as a country that other countries, including, let me tell you, the U.S. can play hockey. But also, I mean, I would imagine that experience of just going to the Olympics, even though you got the injury and it didn't come out the way that you wanted to. But like many things in life, especially when you're, we are young, we don't appreciate it quite as much as, as we look back. It had to be, looking back, one of the great experiences of your life. Well, without question. And, um, and ultimately, I'm very proud of that medal. And I would say that probably Olympians get, get more recognition than we deserve in a lot of ways. We're, we were just hockey players uh, uh, playing, doing our best and having fun enjoying the game. And happened to be the Olympics. You know, just the luck of the age and the timing of the Olympics. Uh, but it, without question, it's, um, it's a highlight of my life. But, and I would also think, as you said, as a player, you're thinking it's a game and, and you've played a lot of these games. But for a country, Canada and specifically in hockey, the pride that people have in you that you're representing this country in a sport that is uh, the sport. Marty, when you put on the sweater with, with the Canadian flag, it's a little bit like you can intellectually understand what it's like to become a father, but you can't feel it till it happens. And it was, I did things on the ice that I would never have done. You know, you're just so motivated. It's sometimes it's dysfunctional, actually. So now you've come back from the Olympics? Yeah, so come back, finish first year law school, and then I, uh, so I'll just pause. Hollywood couldn't have written a script for my life at that. I'm playing hockey at an international level. I'm furthering my education. Life is great. So I phone Buddy from Switzerland, another Canadian. I was, we were all tired. It was a very demanding year, school, travel, hockey, practice every day. Let's go on a ski trip. So... Off we go skiing. Now, this was the same year that Jim Longborg of the Boston Red Sox won the Cy Young Award and then went skiing in Vail and hurt his knee. So it's not as though I wasn't 
aware. Yeah, people get hurt skiing, but I'm an athlete. I'm a neat guy. I'm not, I'm not going to get hurt. That's other people get hurt. And it gets worse. I had five-year out-of-date equipment that didn't work. And so I fell, third run of our first day, smashed my ankle into the ankle joint, into the moving parts, had a surgery, couldn't play, had a second surgery that season, made a comeback, played for a while, had a third surgery, my career's over. And, you know, I've gone and done things that I wouldn't have done had I continued with hockey, but it's a gift that keeps on giving. And I've had a fourth surgery and a fifth one, an ankle fusion here eight years ago, and now... Just in August, everything went up my leg. I've had my hip replaced. So it's been, uh, to be blunt about it, it's diminished a lot of my life. I'm a physical guy. I like sports. I've been able to ski until I had my ankle fused and did a lot of skiing. Kind of played old pros hockey on one leg. Again, it changed my life. But I'm not like President Obama. I can't blame George W. Bush. I did it to myself. And as I understand it, the ankle is, it's very intricate. I mean, it isn't just like setting a bone and, and uh, a broken leg or something like that. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a complicated joint. And that's why there aren't really, there are ankle replacements, but they're not reliable. You know, you replace shoulders and hips and knees, but the, you're right about the ankle. As since I had a fused, I don't have pain anymore. I don't, I don't have um, uh, swelling that was a big loss. I, I loved playing hockey. What I've had a, a career, I'd had my two best years in a row and probably had the skill. I didn't like to hurt people, whether I was mean enough to... But it, it doesn't matter. My career was done. I did learn a lot. I stopped taking the body for granted. You know, when you're kids, you take the body for granted. And the serenity prayer, I had to... If somebody said, oh, you're going to do this, and these are all things you can't do the rest of your life, I would say, well, I can't. I, couldn't live that way but you do you have to you have to accept it and so you can't control have to accept the things you can't control i went from kind of a mini celebrity to knowing being interested in speaking at a banquet or whatever so i learned kind of the ephemeral and hollow nature of celebrity status and that was a good thing to learn actually so after that marty went to finish law school got called the bar Put a stop payment on practicing law. It was, it was kind of the first hint of my entrepreneurial nature. I found myself at the wrong end of the phone. The legal uh, fraternity is a great fraternity. You know, everybody trashes lawyers till they need one. I just didn't want to live that way, so I headed into um, looking for a job in real estate, and the World Hockey Association, the Outlaw League. You know, footballs had one, basketballs had one was formed. My uncle had played with the owner of uh, the one of the original franchises in Calgary. So I went over and saw him and he hired me on the spot and I had an option to buy some of the team. So now I'm in the hockey business and I'm, this is replacing the career I lost. And it was really fun. But he got terminal cancer, sold it to a guy that, a bit of a rogue. I'm in Prague at the world tournament. We're, we're going to bring back some Iron Curtain players. We were going to do that and would have been the first. That's a whole other story. But this new owner shut the team down. So everybody in Calgary knew I was out of a job. <laughs> but there were no cell phones or internet. I didn't know until I got home. And so I would 
uh, went back to work for a year with a really entrepreneurial real estate guy. I was his second grunt assistant, 80 hours a week. But I found, you know, I like business and I applied, this would be the second time I'd applied out of law school to Harvard Business School, got turned down. So much for kids of graduates getting a free ticket. I applied a second time and I got in. So this is um, two years of first is trepidation. You show up, the, the cohort's 800 students, 10 sections. I think it's bigger now. And you're looking around thinking, everybody here's a star. How do I fit in? But it was a very, very enjoyable uh, time. I mentioned excellence earlier, that the theme was excellence. You've got these world-famous professors, your first-year students, six weeks into the class, they're sending out a survey. How, how am I doing? How can we do better? The content, the other students, very interesting. The most notable being George Bush. I wasn't in the section as George, but his, he was just George then. His father was head of the CIA. He wasn't, hadn't been the president. He, he took a liking to me because I already had, uh, uh, Marty, that spring, I started getting calls. Herb, do you remember me? Guys I played against. Your former teammates. Then, you know, you, you're a lawyer. You, you're a former player. You worked in the new league. I need an agent. This was very early days of sports representation. Bob Wolf in Boston, who I later met. We had a rogue in Canada, Alan Eagleson, who ended up in jail. There weren't many. I was asked, so I started to represent players. So I had that. I had about eight or ten players in the NHL when I was in Boston, and George thought that was pretty neat. So we, we connected a little bit. I probably saw... 30 or 40 Bruins games, Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito, and that was a lot of fun too. But I will say that I'll probably never again enjoy the same level of constant intellectual stimulation. It was a fire hose for the two years at business school. It was, it was really, really challenging, but really fantastic. So second year, we get everybody's concerned about second half of second year getting a job. I considered uh, set, going big time as a sports agent. I really, for me, big isn't beautiful. I'm a little guy from a little place, and I, I'm not impressed by big necessarily. It wasn't enough. I enjoyed it a lot and was replacing the career I, I lost, but no, I didn't want that. I made the decision to go back to our family business. I was the first of the third generation into a drugstore-type merchandising business. We had 20 stores in Saskatoon, Regina. Later, we built a cluster in Calgary. Um, we had a wholesale, and we had associated real estate. And that's important. I'll come back to that. So my grandfather was from Ontario. He was a pharmacist. And he came to Saskatoon because there was... He was a hockey player as well. There was a place where he could apprentice. And I never, he died before I was born. I'm, I regret never got to meet my grandfather. But he was very entrepreneurial. He ended up owning both the pharmacy and the hockey team. And he built a business. And um, I think by the time World War II was over, there wasn't a lot left of it. But my uncle, the oldest brother, was a pharmacist. And he went back to the business. 
And my father uh, was at school in Boston. And uh, when he died, he went back just to help out and never left. So they built a fairly significant business for Saskatchewan scale. There was some prominence and, you know, had my name on the door. I invited and uh, persuaded uh, my third brother, who's a CPA, to come back and join. And as he eloquently said, we're taking this old business through its third infancy. And my father and uncle were in San Diego and Phoenix in the winter. And, you know, we, we needed some youth and some energy. And, and there was more than we could do. We felt, boy, we're never going to get there. Eventually, we did. And that was one of the reasons we couldn't get the transition to the third generation. We did, it was my brother who negotiated this. We did a MBO, management buyout, where we had three groups, two families and management team. But my father wanted control and he broke the agreement actually and took out my uncle. And now he's in control. My brother and I now are turf war because there's not quite enough to do. And people started picking sides. The board's now my brother's. So that was difficult. When I look back, it was more of a narrative, I would say. But the real issue was my father would not surrender control. He was impossible to please. He was never satisfied. You know, I was a kid who I was very compliant. I was a good student. I was a decent athlete. And I was working really hard. But he was never satisfied. I had come in very trusting. I didn't have any kind of deal when I joined. Dick negotiated one, but I made a really big mistake. I thought, you know what? I appear to be the problem here. My brothers were unhappy. I was being invited onto some boards and I had my small, but hockey business on the side. That didn't play well. So if I leave, one, I'll solve the problem. Two, maybe they'll like me more. It'll all be cozy. Well, I left really stupid. Now I'm just in a weaker position and they didn't like me anymore. And my father was really upset that I had broken out from under his control. And it got really ugly. Family relationships were damaged and that continues today. My father never forgave me. It was the business that was the business was the child that never left home. Even even in his will, he penalized me a little bit. So it was a it was a very disappointing experience for the most part, but having said all that, I got a level of decision-making that wouldn't have existed if it wasn't a family business, and bottom line responsibility early, and got to test a lot of what I'd learned, made some mistakes and learned, and verified some of the, my instincts. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and you know, when in a family business, it's when it works, you have a sense of purpose. I, I saw myself as my role in life is I'm the third generation of this business. My role is to nurture it along with my brother and hand it over to the next generation. That's why we exist. And that, was, that was very special. And so when they work, they're the best. But the stats are very revealing and relevant to us. First and second generation, about 85% success rate. Third generation, 10, 20%. The only way I survived this is I intellectualized the process. I did a lot of reading. I learned I wasn't alone. This is normal. So it was a um, very difficult time. And I think I 
My mind was ahead of my emotions. My mind knew it was time to leave. My emotions took time to catch up. And what was helpful in that was I got shingles. Nobody's ever made that comment ever in their life, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I, I got shingles, and uh, that was bad enough. But, Marty, I got the yips. I couldn't, Worse. I couldn't take my putter back. And I was playing at a two at the time, winning my share of tournaments, and I kind of think I might have got the scratch, but uh, maybe that's just wishful thinking. But you can't play golf with the yips. And so I had to get out of Dodge. But I made a terrible mistake and didn't negotiate my way out. I left, and now I'm... And it got got really messy after that. I'll spare you the details. So I learned... Um, made, most of my mistakes are being too trusting. This was part of it. And I lost... Uh, also lost my platform, call it, in the business world. You know, I was the president, along with my brother, of a significant business. And I was a bachelor at the time. Just one story I'll throw in. Princess Anne, the crown is the, the rage. And it's come. she was visiting Alaska, then Saskatchewan, then Denver. I got a call from Protocol Saskatchewan. They want two eligible bachelors to accompany the princess and the lady-in-waiting to a lunch. So I was pretty flip about this, and my buddies, we were all pretty flip. But drove to Regina and had this lunch. Hour and a half it went by lightning fast, and then they left. And my feelings changed completely. I thought, this is their job. They do this all day, every day, and how good they are at it. And I was actually quite filled with admiration and grateful for the experience. Um, I heard they had a... She had a day off the next day, and they had a party at a farm. And, Marty, I wasn't invited. I really felt used. <laughs> I'm sure that that'll be an episode of The Crown. <laughs> I and doubt once it. People know this story. Just, I know this is a, a, a difficult thing, but families are complicated. But it has to be, a, you know, you've touched on the business aspect of it. But the emotion of having to deal with that, even to this day, um, I don't know. I mean, as you look back on it, I mean, what would you have done something different? Because, again, we see this going on in our political world right now, where people get separated because of different beliefs and things like that, which seems to me to be so foolish. But... When, when money is involved and business is involved and egos are involved, as you look back on it, what were the lessons learned? Yeah, you know, I've asked myself that question many times. What could I have done differently? You know, the business was just the way to have the fight. It's the dynamics aren't about the business ultimately. Uh, it was my conclusion. They're about what happened, who was the favorite child. The, you know, there's a baggage and history and resentments and rivalry. There's a, there's a saying in family businesses, the fish rots from the head down. Unless the older generation leads the transition, it doesn't happen. And my father valued control of the business more than me being there. And my brothers, you know, they, they showed their resentment towards me. It's not something I'm proud of or happy about, but it is real. They kind of had opportunity to kick at me, and I didn't like it. But it was essentially, it was time for me to gain uh, the CEO role 
And he was happy for me to be the CEO the rest of my life, or the rest of his life. Plus, he just, he just couldn't make him happy. I really tried hard. I'm now 38. I'm in a little city, and there weren't a lot of CEO jobs around. <laughs> so now what do I do? And I had um, put roots down. I grew up there. I had roots, but I had a cottage at the lake that we love, and um, and I uh, friendships, and I wanted to stay. So I had to live off my wits. I became, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, an entrepreneur. I was already had my hockey business, so I I grew that. We developed, set up my own office, hired the CPA. We developed a quite a sophisticated financial management program. Uh, we were doing contracts. And I did that for 35 years on a part-time basis. And that the travel was unbelievable from Vancouver in the Northwest to Miami in the Southeast, many points in between. It was fun. I was single. and That's, That was the question I was going to ask you. You were single at this yeah. time. So you have the ability to do these things with... Yeah, and it was fulfilling. I, I didn't have family, so the, the players in a way were my family. And I kept my clientele small, one, because I was doing other things, two, because I wanted the personal relationship as opposed to building a factory. If you build a factory, you make a lot of money. That wasn't what was important to me. Let me ask you just qu quickly. You were always involved in hockey for the most part, but team sports. I found for myself and other people that have been involved in this, that's something that you always like to recreate because that feeling of a team and the feeling of accomplishment and the feeling of camaraderie within a small group like that really is something that stays with you once you've got that in your well, DNA. You've obviously experienced this, Marty, because I missed playing hockey. I loved hockey, but I missed the room. All the stuff that goes on, you have a tribe that lives together, fights together. It's very special. Jumping ahead, that I end up doing a lot of governance work, and it's a team of a different kind. But yeah, I missed that. To your question, agents in the sports world are outcasts. We're not part of the inside. And in earlier days, we weren't universally loved or respected. Uh, so the team was the family and you know Jerry Maguire the themes that came out it was Hollywoodized but the themes were very real I could talk about that but uh, we've got lots more to ground to cover here well so now you've got the business that you've done for 35 years on a part-time basis now where do you go next back to the real estate when I was with the family business we were, my dad was some others who owned a little shopping center and um, my job to preside over it. And I learned that if I showed up in this grocery store in after school hours at the checkout, I just got this wonderful smile and these blue eyes that, oh, just captured me. And it took 10 years uh, later, this young woman who I bumped into her at the Y, the, you work downtown, you worked out at the YMCA. And I asked her out, and she was tied up, but again, a year later. And uh, Marty, it sounds corny, and, but I just knew. I, I, looking into her eyes, I just knew. And um, 1988, um, we uh, started the day to 
engaged at Whistler a year later and got married in July of 1990. And uh, this, um, again, a real life-changing experience. It was, it was hard for me because I was 43 and I was a bachelor. You know, I'd had lunch with Princess Anne. <laughs> but, um, and we this, get set in our ways as a single person. Absolutely. And she's just, she was just patient and she loved me as I was. And ironically, the Carl Rogers work, the way to change behavior is to first accept people the way they are. And I call it the retraining program. And there's been a 30-year retraining program. And the parts that, you know, as I was here early, Madeline got me, taught me to show up on time. I've learned so much from her. And the overt retraining is great. But what I wonder about is the retraining that I'm not aware of. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I couldn't imagine uh, not being married to Madeline. We have uh, 14 months later, our son Scott was born. He's now, um, he went to, played golf at uh, Skidmore, went to graduate a University of Melbourne, a DPI, Doctor of Physical Therapy, DPT. And he's got a building a practice in Kelowna in British Columbia. Twelve months later, our daughter Danielle was born, and uh, she played golf at University of Richmond. Worked there in, with the endowment fund, got her CFA, and is a recent graduate a little more than a year ago at Berkeley MBA. And she works at Visa in Silicon Valley. So I can't imagine now not being in a family way or being with Madeline. But um, anyway, so other activities. Um, I, I bought with a group, the Regina Pats, another team in the Western Hockey League. And um, we had a fantastic record over seven years. We, we won 40 games, um, seven years in a row, which is hard in junior high because the cycle's very short. So you have to think ahead. And um, that was the first time anyone in Canada had done that. Uh, there have been a few that have replicated that. Um, so we had a really good team, but the, the exhibition grounds owned the building, decided to put a barbed wire fence around the exhibition grounds and two entrances that were hard to get in and charge our fans a dollar now, that doesn't sound like much, but when it's been free and there's land in every direction, um, our attendance dropped in half. So it set off a whole round of activities, and I ended up selling the team after um, threatening to another city. The league came in, wouldn't approve that, and it was a cluster, you know what. And um, this time, I, I don't have... I don't have um, shingles, but I had a mouthful of canker sores. It was the biggest story in the province. And I ended up uh, selling the team to the league. They sold it behind my back. They had made deal already made. And um, so I gathered with the media. I thought I'd better face the music. And I could hardly talk, but I said, you know, there's, I'm going to make a prediction. I think the exhibition board will remove the dollar for the new owner. And from the back, someone very tenderly said, they announced that this morning. So somebody in Regina didn't like me, Marty. That was a, <laughs> a low of lows. It was a 
public humiliation. What else did I do? Um, governance. I mentioned I went through kind of my past this last winter, and I decided I would count the boards that I've sat on, and including what we call crowns, you call state-owned enterprises, a few of those, private companies. I'll get to my private equity business, but sometimes the way into the deals go on the board. Publicly listed companies and nonprofits. I was I couldn't believe it, but I've been on 45 boards. How did that happen? <laughs> well, that's a credit to you. I mean, that's, you know, you should take uh, um, an awfully good feeling from that because people don't put on pe uh, people on boards unless they know that they're qualified and are going to contribute. Well, that's, thank you, that's true. Part of it is being a medium-sized fish in a small pond. You know, when someone from Saskatchewan, I, my name would come up. But it's enjoyed the governance. It, you know, at, at Harvard Business School, you have the case method, and you have these cases, and they're a really fun way to learn. Well, these are real cases. They're real people, and it's real money. And it's strategic thinking. I, I really enjoy it in a range of industries from, from energy focus. Hardly a surprise in Western Canada. Agribusiness, Viterra was the largest agribusiness company in Canada. Um, we had an operation in Australia and the Ukraine, and we were taken out. Financial services, engineering, technology, hospitality. I was the director of Sunshine Village, a ski resort. That was, that was fun. Hockey. But I want to mention Canadian Airlines. You know, there's another thing. I had an airline pass. that uh, I was single in the business, and I could fly wherever I wanted, and that didn't go over well, you know. But anyway... Um, you interviewed Mac Van Willingen. I met Mac. One of my nonprofits was the Young Presidents Organization, YPO. A lot of members will be familiar with YPO, I'm sure. And I went through um, the chapter chairs and, and uh, went on the international board. One of the meetings a year was in Dallas. That's a, helped me connect with George again. Into my forum group came Mac Van Willingen, and we became friends. And they, ARC Financial was evolving into largest and by far the strongest private equity firm in Canada and one of the and one of the leaders in North America. Mac invited me onto a board and I saw what was going on at the early stage. Ended up starting another business. Uh, Mac had a significant impact on on my life. Arc resources of forty five boards is the best governance experience I've enjoyed. I'm my time's up and leaving the board in May at our AGM after fifteen years. Well, I will tell you, having done a podcast with Mac, just sitting across from him, as I have with virtually every podcast, but he's such a bright man. And he's thinking, you know, I thought, you know, I was playing checkers, he was playing chess as we talked. He's had a, a lot of impact on a lot of people. Eventually, Marty, um, I'd been managing player capital, and through YPO, through energy boards I was on, and managing money, I found myself in the deal flow in Calgary. It was a very robust private equity deal flow where maybe there was an acquisition and some employees got let go or they decided to go and develop a certain area where they had expertise. They need funding. So it's very robust. I started business to invest in those opportunities, and that's been my main business for the last 20 years. The timing was really good early this century. Hasn't been so good lately. So final comment about um, life as an entrepreneur. 
Marty, it's been really fun. Not everybody can, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. You don't know what's next. But you get to follow your passions. And a lot of hockey. I've, I've followed my passion there. Uh, skiing, I mentioned Sunshine Village. I was early years, I was, I was still business school. I was heli-skiing and I got caught in an avalanche. And two of us got caught and one of us is alive today. That's a whole nother story I could talk about. Um, and as a digression, I guess cats have nine lives. I know I have at least three because I was also in the earthquake in San Francisco on the 27th floor of the 28th floor Mandarin Oriental. And I thought, I'd, again, I thought I was going to die. Anyway, I digress. So the next, so I moved to Katski. Turns out a family from Saskatoon, really close friends, were developing this. I think I was the only skier was there the first 37 years of their existence uh, until I had a detached retina a few years back. But I became their advisor. And so it was fun to, my passion for skiing, that was Selkirk Wilderness Skiing was called, and to get into the bowels of it and learn about the business. And then finally, uh, passion for golf, as you know, my teacher says to me one day, um, comes out with a, something covered with a towel and said, Herb, I don't trust many people, but I trust you. I want you to try this implement. And um, the short story is his financial partner, and he fell out. So I became his financial partner. This is called the Power Package. And it's for setting your wrist properly. And we're just coming out a very talented, not only a good teacher, but his mind can figure out devices that would essentially help him to teach. We've got to call the putting package out. And this is, a, I guess, a brazen editorial here, but um, really a good implement. And we're coming out also with a uh, alignment gizmo that um, we're calling it the stealth that uh, helps with alignment. So here I am, my passion for golf, in, in the golf business, just as an entrepreneur. And if you're interested, you can contact Herb Pinder, his name's <laughs> in the book, and uh, for you to get your new putting <laughs> device. Um, this is a perfect example to Herb of there isn't a straight line for any of us, this point to this point. That's why we talk about the twists and turns. That's why we talk about various circumstances you know, you said, too, that your family, as you look back on it, did you a favor in some respects because it allowed you to go and experience a lot of other things that you otherwise wouldn't have experienced. Artie, there's no, you hit it. There's no question they did me a favor. For one thing, family businesses don't pay. <laughs> I've done way better financially. I've been relying on myself. And I think they're just certain people who, by their personality or their wiring need to work for themselves and I think I'm one of those and I think it was inevitable and but you're absolutely right I they did me a big favor I've had so much fun yeah I've had made terrible mistakes and and um, lost money and lost been embarrassed and but I've had a tremendous amount of fun let me ask a couple of questions who has had the greatest influence on your life and that could be multiple people. Yeah, it is. Um, Marty, my parents. You know, my father was my hero. And um, like him, I'm involved in sports, involved in business, involved in community, and family's important. So he's very definitely. But 
my mother, um, I might get a little emotional here, but um, I didn't really come to appreciate my mother till my mid-30s. And uh, I, for a long time, I got up and saying, how can I be more like my mother than like my father? She had a lot of impact in her quiet, understated way. Um, I had two mentors, they're both gone, one in Toronto named Joe Rotman, one of Canada's great entrepreneurs. I sat on a board with him, and we became friends. And, and another gentleman named Harold Malofsky in Calgary. Uh, he's a Saskatchewan guy, and we became really good friends and sat on boards together, and he gave me great guidance. I couldn't go to my father for... He wasn't a mentor. I wish I could thank them. Um, they're not alive. But Madeline, I've learned so much from, from Madeline. She's probably the finest person I know. How, why me, you know, that I'm married to her? It's, well, and it's been a real partnership. Oh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, she, she's, yeah, she's the best. What qualities do you look for in people that work with you? First of all, I, I have a construct that people don't have strengths and weaknesses. They have characteristics. And when you get on a continuum, and I'm a hard worker. Okay, that's good. Work hard, work hard. Yep, better, work hard, better. But you go out the end of the continuum, it's not good. So I look for characteristics. And one of them is integrity. Without that, um, I look for competence, obviously, and I look for team players. Now, this, this is in the context of a small office. I have a small business with four people, you know, including myself. Well, when you have a small group of people, that team, everybody working in the same way, you know, that as everything. tight as it is rowing in the same direction, that's imperative. What is your management philosophy? Well, very simple. And again, in, in the, the context we've been discussing, I delegate and I trust. And I, I'm, not, I'm demanding in a sense that we have high standards and we have investors that we or previously occupied our clients that we were in business to please them. And, that, and but they know that. And, and my, my employees are very, very conscientious, but I delegate and leave them alone and trust them. And so far it's worked out really well. It sure has. With all the accomplishments that you've had, and they are many, what drives you today? Well, um, my health, I think, is a, is a concern. Every surgery, I lose strength and endurance, and I'm, I'm struggling now to get my hip going. Um, I, uh, my parents both uh, had hearing issues, and uh, Marty, I've been to far too many rock concerts, and I've got some hearing issues. So my body, my body is kind of what Winston Churchill said about history. It's just one goddamn thing after another. And... Pardon me for the blasphemy, but that's what he said. So it's just one thing after another. Um, I I still need. I'm still working. Got I'm still on about five boards and have um, too many limited partnerships that are sitting stagnant right now in the energy sector. But I need to be productive. I, I did, when I get up in the morning, I have to be productive, and I I do a lot of reading, and I do a lot of writing. I write to my investors, keep them informed. I think I'm going to be, I get a lot of people saying, may I send these on to others? And 
So I'm going to be doing a lot more of that, I think, in, in my dotage. This is a question that it, I haven't asked in the past as much, but I'm going to ask it now because it's on everybody's mind. From a business standpoint, COVID, you know, we we see it here in the States. Give us a little background on how this has impacted business in Canada. You know, what what do you see as the future, near future, as to how you're going to deal with all of this? Yeah, well, the, the circumstances are very simple. And I think it's the, the, the biggest factor that probably doesn't get talked about very much is population density. When you're crammed together, inevitably, you're going to infect others. That's what's so, one of the things so wonderful here. We're not crammed together. And so, not surprisingly, Ontario and Quebec are, have very high numbers. Saskatchewan, uh, our numbers are, mu are, are too much, but much better. So in terms of the energy sector, the pandemic has really hurt oil consumption. So valuations are down. Um, and on top of uh, federal government anti-energy policies in our country, uh, the industry is in a very, very difficult place. Surprisingly, the natural gas side that has been overlooked is very strong right now. And um, I could go into that, but it, that part is, is doing quite well. But we're, we're not going to, you know, from terms of my funds, we're not going to get much action until oil prices improve and it they're not going to improve until the you know we got a, looks like a vaccine on the come and uh but this is all going to take time marty and i i wouldn't it, uh, dare to be predict uh, how long this is going to take if we did we certainly could uh, make a dollar <laughs> or two that way the question that we always ask everybody and this gets the most play is what advice would you give the 20-year-old Herb Binter? Well, for sure, be one skiing trip, I would say don't go on. You know, one of the things I learned for all those years working for hockey players is players play their personality. And part of my struggle is not to play my personality. I'm, I'm very impatient. And so advice would be try and be more patient. You know, when I'm in a conversation, you know, as soon as I know where something's going, I jump in. And that leads to be a better listener. I'm enthusiastic and, you know, on the board, around the board table, I'm in early usually in discussions. I uh, want to help. and But sometimes it's the best listeners that, in the end, and uh, uh, my wife is this fantastic listener. And I, I can... Be a better listener. And the higher level of, of that is Steve Covey, seek first to understand. Try and understand the logic of other people's lives. Madeline is so good at that. She can figure out their context and where they're coming from. And to understand that earlier would, would have been good for me. Herb, I just really want to thank you for doing this. It's been really enjoyable. I appreciate that you shared with us your experiences, and it was really a pleasure for me to have you here. Well, Marty, thank you, and um, I hope you live a long time, Marty, because there's an awful lot of people here at Bighorn that you need to interview. 
and I'm really appreciative and uh, to have the opportunity and and uh, very enjoyable and thank you. And thanks again to Leeds and Sun Fine Jewelers, <laughs> AT and T, and Back Nine Greens for their support, which allows us to bring you these amazing people and their extraordinary stories. I appreciate all of you for listening and join us next time for another great story on the Bighorn Podcast.